listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 9. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. This is Season 1, Episode 9, and I am Mark Holthy, a Canadian immigration lawyer practicing out of the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. I want to start off by apologizing for failing to produce an episode in such a long period of time. Now, it has been probably almost two months since the last episode. Um, that was produced, uh, episode eight. Uh, and I intend to give you a little bit of background and explain what happened. Um, however, before we get to that, I know that I indicated that Billy and I in, uh, in season one, episode eight, uh, would be in this episode using our prior experience as Canadian immigration officers to debate whether or not a spousal sponsorship application, uh, should be approved. And we created, um, a fictitious, uh, fictitious fact pattern that we could debate. So uh, I'm going to be the good cop and Billy's going to be the bad cop. But ultimately, we're going to push that one off to episode 10 instead. So stay tuned. It should be a lot of fun. Now, back to the question, why have I not released a podcast in the last two months? Well, let me give you a little bit of background. So as you have followed the podcast, you'll see that I created the Canadian Immigration Institute. And um, well, why did I do that? Well, initially, it was to help um, people get more information, excuse me, on express entry. And I thought by, because of, you know, so much misinformation on the internet and people were coming to me, you know, at the last stage after everything had fallen apart and there was really nothing that I could do. And uh, you take that coupled with CIC's one-touch policy, which has been extremely ruthless, and it's across all all streams of, of applications. Essentially, if you have anything wrong, they just return the, the package, and uh, they don't give you much of an opportunity to rectify anything that you don't quite have right. So I had many people coming to me, um, and they really had no other place to turn, but they tried to do it themselves initially, and then things went badly. And sometimes I just couldn't help them. And so I decided that, you know, I needed to do something about this. So I created the Canadian Institute, uh, the Canadian Immigration Institute, so that I could use that as the vehicle uh, for, for creating these courses. And, and obviously, I've been trying to provide as much free information as I can to people out there so that they have somewhere that they can turn. But, you know, I have a family and I have to financially support them. And uh, the time that I was putting in to uh, providing the free resources, I, I realized that I just it wasn't sustainable. So what I decided to do was I thought, boy, I'm a teacher. You know, I'm a high school teacher. At least I was before I became a lawyer. Why not just run an online course where I teach people how to do it? And so we created um, the Express Entry course, and and uh, I spent hours and hours doing that. Uh, we produced a couple webinars where I offered 
free express entry information and, and then introduce people to the concept of the course. Um, we ran our first pilot, which was okay. It was, it was really good. The content was awesome and the people that participated were really great. But it was really undersubscribed. And as I went through this process, I realized that right now, at least, people just were not really interested in, um, in paying for a course on, on immigration. And interestingly enough, and surprisingly enough, what ultimately ended up happening is that many, many, many more people were just contacting our law firm to have us represent them directly. And so they would rather hire me directly as their lawyer um, than ha- take a, a, an express entry course. So it was totally unexpected and it resulted in considerably more work for the firm than I ever anticipated. And so the last two months, I'll be honest, it has been focused exclusively on trying to deal with this influx of new clients that have retained our firm. And I simply did not have time to continue with the podcast and uh, producing new content for the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. So in a nutshell, that's basically what happened. And uh, to further complicate things, um, because Citizenship and Immigration Canada who now, as I've indicated, uh, as I'll indicate a little bit later, or go by a different name, um, have made the process so complicated and difficult. Many of my competitors, many dabbling lawyers who practice in other areas and just touched on immigration when it came across their desk, now don't want to do it. Uh, Not surprisingly. And a lot of the lightweight consultants as well have now dropped out of the picture because they simply couldn't keep up with the changes and were not able to competently help people with immigration. Um, and obviously, the, the number of people that are able to get work permits now, companies, has been drastically reduced. It's been way more difficult than it used to be in the past. And let's face it, there's a lot of Canadian, a lot of temporary foreign workers here in Canada who no longer qualify for permanent residence because of the changes with express entry. So, so the number of people seeking immigration services has dropped off, which has resulted in there not being as much business out there. So this in turn has resulted with many more people, many more people coming to our office for assistance. And, um, and so I've been super busy trying to deal with that. So I knew that something had to change. So I took a look at the office, had a, a long discussion and, and visit with my staff, and uh, we decided to make some changes within the podcast. And one of the changes that occurred was hiring some new staff to assist us with the growth. Um, restructuring the firm a little bit so that I would now once again have a little bit more time to attend to the podcast and do the things that I love, providing the free resources and and the information that really uh, people that could not typically afford to hire an immigration lawyer uh, so that they could still be getting that information. So that gives you a little bit of an explanation as to why there's been such a delay and I'm going to refrain from apologizing too much more because I know in a couple podcasts ago I said I'm going to produce this every week. So instead of uh, holding out promises that I cannot keep, um, I'm going to say that my goal is to produce a podcast now every week, and I'll do my very best. Um, but we will see how that unfolds. All right. Um, with this growth within our office, I do want to point out something. I know that there are people out there that um, are immigration lawyers and consultants that are listening to the podcast and, and find it useful and helpful, and that's wonderful. Um, and so I thought it might be worthwhile as well just to, to describe in some fashion some of the changes that are taking place within our office. 
So because we have become more and more virtual, um, I, I want to extend an invitation to any currently practicing Canadian immigration lawyers or, or certified immigration consultants, no, no matter where you live in Canada or abroad, who are looking for an opportunity to, to work with an awesome little growing law firm. Um, but I'll qualify that. Um, but do not want the stress of having to meet certain targets or even work on a full-time basis. And so with the virtual nature of our law firm, um, we're now in a, a really good position to offer a platform uh, for you to work under if you'd like to. And uh, you know that platform is under Holthy Tillman LLP and that umbrella. Um, but no matter what geographic location you might be working in, uh, we have opportunities for you. So you might be able to you know, work on a contract basis or, you know, in a part-time capacity um, while being compensated directly for the work that you want to do. So I intend um, to use this process of, of adding in um, people who, who kind of work, want to work as much or as little as they want to without, you know, being bound down to, to certain billable targets. Um, I want to extend an invitation for anyone uh, who's interested in, in opportunities that might exist here within the office. Um, to give me a call to, to contact me. And I hope to be able to use these individuals to meet the continual needs of our clients. And, um, and like I said, create opportunities for some professionals who may be seeing their practices shrink in this market. Let's face it, it's, it's quite a tough immigration market. And, and with all the significant restrictions on the temporary foreign workers and, and people that can't qualify for PR anymore, um, the, there just isn't as many opportunities. But through this podcast and through the efforts that we've been undertaking here within the firm, we're starting to get more and more work and, and in fact, uh, um, work that, uh, you know, is going to require a lot more support to, to make sure we're meeting our clients' needs. So um, just reach out to me directly through our, our firm website at htllp.com or contact me directly through my LinkedIn profile or Facebook or any of the other social media methods that, that work for you. Uh, you can also call our law firm. Our toll-free number uh, is 1-844-485-8204 and just ask to speak with me, Mark Holthy. All right, so let's shift one more gear and get back to this concept of uh, of an express entry course. Well, I realized that people weren't interested in that, at least at this stage, and maybe people can disabuse me of that, that thought, but it wasn't as successful as I originally thought based on the amount of time and effort I put in. And uh, it seemed that people were more interested in just retaining us. But there may be people out there that are still interested in us creating a do-it-yourself guide. And, um, and so, um, although I've decided to not continue forward at this stage with the course, I do face a little bit of a dilemma in, in wondering whether or not it makes sense for me to, to actually kind of package what we've already created into a do-it-yourself guide format, which is... Uh, literally a video tutorial of me showing you exactly how to complete the forms and everything um, uh, it, it, to to submit your own express entry applications. And so there may be people out there who simply want to do it themselves, um, but would like just a little professional help to avoid some of the common pitfalls that people fall into. And so I want to hear from you. So if you think it would be a good idea for me to go ahead and create that series, it's actually a series of, of do-it-yourself guides uh, to a whole bunch of Canadian immigration streams, whether it's express entry or you know work permits or things like that, or even labor market impact assessments, which I know some companies really struggle with because they're really a nasty process even for our office. Um, I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. 
All right. So, uh, like I said, these guides, I, I probably intend them to be, you know, video tutorials with supplemental information and links and everything. But I just need your response. So you can also go to the comment section um, for this podcast uh, or send us your thoughts via the Facebook page uh, for the Canadian Immigration Podcast or, or just, you know, drop us a line in whatever fashion you'd like to because I'd love to hear uh, from you. And depending on the responses that we receive, it's going to largely dictate whether or not I proceed forward with the guides um, at all. So take the time to, to let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. And um, remember, it's basically designed for anyone who probably couldn't otherwise afford to hire an immigration representative. And that was my motivation for, for creating them. So, um, so that's that. All right, well, let's shift into some of the more substantive elements of our podcast today. Um, I thought I would give you a little bit of an update on what is new with Citizenship and Immigration Canada. Well, as many of you are now aware, Citizenship and Immigration Canada now has a new name thanks to our new Liberal government. So CIC is now Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada, IRCC. And this transition is slowly taking over and now we're starting to see most, if not virtually all, communications coming back um, from IRCC versus CIC. And uh, interestingly enough, the CIC website has not yet changed, but any of you who have been trying to access the site have realized lately that it has been really slow and sluggish and almost non-responsive. And I have to assume that it has to do with, you know, CIC um, transitioning over to a new domain um, or just making internal structural changes to accommodate the new IRCC uh, name. But uh, obviously when IRCC was first announced, I considered rushing out and registering the, dona- the domain name, but uh, ultimately uh, I'm not really in the business of being a domain squatter. So we'll see how long it takes for them to shift CIC to IRCC. But if you're still searching for information and you are doing it through Google, uh, CIC is still the route to go um, versus IRCC. Um, all right. Next thing what I, that I want to talk about today, and then we'll conclude with some um, answers to some of uh, some of our listener questions, is this new electronic travel authorization, which is coming into effect right away. This um, this process, which will start and become mandatory on March the 15th, 2016, um, will require visa-exempt foreign nationals who fly or transit through Canada. Um, It will require them to have what the government has called an electronic travel authorization, this new ETA. So if you're traveling to the U.S. and you come from a country that does not require U.S. visa, it's similar to the ESTA. It's similar to the U.S. process where you have to um, go through a, a pre-screening before you can board the plane. Well, this application is, is the same as that. Um, the exceptions to the rule are U.S. citizens um, and anyone who's traveling with a valid visa. So if you come from a visa-required country and you have a visa, that is your process for pre-screening, that visa. But for anyone coming from visa-exempt countries then they will be required to obtain this ETA before they can board the plane, which is a significant difference. Um, interestingly enough, the, the process only applies to travel by air. So if you are looking to travel into Canada by land or sea, 
Well, the rules haven't changed. And that's important, and I'll, I'll get to that in a little bit. In the show notes, I've got a link to how you can apply, and, and the you know it's an online process, so you can go through your MyCIC account and, and uh, that portal, and that's how you can do it. There's a $7 fee uh, associated with that application. Um, and I'll probably create a, a little a little guide on how to fill in, uh, you know, how to how to complete that process and, and post that on the the Canadian Immigration Podcast site. Um, however, there is a huge problem brewing, a massive problem brewing. Um, just to qualify here, I will I will indicate that um, if you are a Canadian citizen or dual citizen, obviously you do not need an ETA. And if you're a Canadian permanent resident, you also are exempt from needing an ETA. However, one thing I will point out is that if your PR card is expiring and you come from a visa-exempt country and you have to travel abroad and you do not yet have your new PR card, that is going to be a huge issue because, well, let's face it, if, if it's taking right now 171 days to process a PR card extension and you need to travel urgently on business. So these are citizens of countries from, for example, the UK or Australia or, or um, the Western European countries. Those of you who are permanent residents of Canada and need to travel on business and you need to fly and you do not have your PR card, well, when it comes time to return back to Canada, you've got a huge issue. So some people ask, well, can I ask for urgent processing of my PR card. And, and um, ultimately, that is possible. However, um, if you go to the CIC website, and there will be a link within the show notes, this is exactly what it says. It says to qualify for urgent processing, you must be traveling in the next three months and returning to Canada on a commercial vehicle. Um, and so if you're returning to Canada on that commercial vehicle, it says you know, basically, there's a there's a, a little a wizard that you walk through to determine if your circumstances are sufficiently justified for urgent processing. And it says, even if these conditions apply to you, we may not be able to process your request urgently or get your card to you before you need to travel. Well, that's really helpful. So you can make the pitch and you can make the request for urgent processing, but there is absolutely no guarantee. And in fact, over Christmas, there was an announcement that came out that basically said, we will not entertain any urgent processing under any circumstance. And with processing times of 171 days for a, an extension to your permanent resident card, that's a huge problem. So there's a link in the show notes to how you go through that process of requesting urgent processing. But can you imagine the nightmare that is going to happen for visa-exempt nationals from you know, countries, you know, permanent residents of Canada that are, that are visa-exempt nationals from UK or Australia or, or other countries um, uh, who come from visa exempt countries and have to travel without a permanent resident card. Well, in the past, um, we had clients that needed to travel and maybe for whatever reason they forgot to extend their PR card or for whatever reason, well, they could always board the airlines um, just on the basis of their passport. Very rarely did the airlines have any issues because they didn't need a visa to travel. And when they arrived in Canada, the Canada Border Service Agency would rarely have an issue because they could see that, you know, truly they were permanent residents of Canada and they had maintained their residency obligation, which, uh, as all of you permanent residents of Canada know, is two years in every five-year period. So they would allow them in and they'd rarely have an issue when they returned because 
basically they didn't need a visa. However, now um, any PRs that are looking to reboard an airline, the airlines are not going to let them in unless they have a valid PR card or hold an ETA. Well, as I indicated before, permanent residents of Canada cannot apply for an ETA. So what are they, what are they going to do? What are these people going to do? So if you're a PR abroad and you've lost your permanent resident card or you've applied to extend it and you've had to leave before it's been processed, and like I said, 177 days processing, IRCC requires that you apply for something called a travel document at a Canadian consulate or visa, uh, visa office abroad. And so you actually have to go through this process of requesting a formal document, which will be used in lieu of your permanent resident card until you get a new one. Well, what a colossal waste of time and drain on everyone's resources. Well, basically, that's the default that the government of Canada, at least Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada, uh, holds out for people. Um, I know our national executive uh, of, the, of the National Immigration Section of the Canadian Bar Association um, they have been lobbying the government to do something about this and have recommended some, some possible workarounds or suggestions. However, you know, with, with this new um, ETA process hovering in the very, very near future, after March 15, 2016, um, it's very unlikely that anything is going to, to happen. So what do you do? Well, let me share with you what I'm advising my clients. Now, remember, ETAs only apply to air travel. So if you're entering Canada via land crossing, or I guess by sea, from the U.S., um, you know, by land, then the old rules apply. So although there's never a guarantee that a CBSA officer will not give you some hassle, I'm advising my visa-exempt clients who have PR card extensions in process and need to travel after their current PR cards have expired to simply travel to the U.S the U.S. by land, and then fly domestically within the U.S. if they need to fly to a U.S. destination, or fly from the U.S. abroad uh, to international destinations, and then return by air back to the U.S., and then ultimately return to Canada via the land crossing. So this is the workaround that I've been recommending for my clients, is that you simply travel uh, by land to the U.S., and then once you're out of Canada, then fly where you need to go, but then fly back into um, you know, the nearest U.S. airport and then drive back into Canada. And uh, obviously, visa-exempt nationals with permanent resident status in Canada must still meet the requirements of, you know, entry to the U.S., whether it's the U.S. visa waiver program or, you know, holding a valid U.S. visa. However, in this manner, you know, if you do have an emergency business trip or an, impersonal, uh, an important personal trip, you can still be accommodated without the hassle of having to apply for a travel document once you're outside of the country. So if you have any specific questions regarding this process, just leave me a comment on this uh, on the podcast, the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. Just leave me a comment. And if it's something that you know I think our listeners will be able to benefit generally from or a question that you have, then I'll share it with everyone. And um, you know I'll try to answer the question that you might have and then share it with everyone. Um, I have not been able to keep up, keep up, obviously, with every individual question that comes my way. And lots of times people contact my office and say, hey, do I qualify for express entry? What are the best options? Well, the reality is I can't answer those questions. Those are things that would require a, a, a paid consultation, and I don't do free consultations. 
And uh, because of the volume of calls, the only way I can deal with this is to try and group together the similar questions that I get and then share them equally with everyone. And, uh, and that way, you know, my time is used the best that I possibly can. And it's really quite precious right now, given the fact that, you know, my, my four children are growing quick and I'm coaching my, my, you know, my son's club volleyball and, and participating in, in all the various activities they're involved with. And, um, and so time is definitely a precious commodity. So I'm trying to leverage as much of uh, these, these questions by sharing them to as many people as possible that may be able to benefit from them. So while we're on the topic of answers to listener questions, um, and given this specific topic, I wanted to share uh, two questions that I received recently. Uh, this one is from Kumar, and uh, his message reads, Hello, I applied for express entry in September of 2015, and my file was chosen from the pool in October of 2015. After submitting my document in last in in last uh, of October, they asked me to submit my passport. I submitted it last week and I'll get my passport in a few days. After receiving my passport, I want to travel to my own country, India, for some work. Is that possible or should I wait for my PR card? If I want to travel to my own country before receiving my PR card, then what's the procedure? Can I enter Canada after my visit to India? Well, this is a real life example of an individual who is faced with um, the, the problem of not having their permanent resident card ready, that initial one after you land, it won't be ready uh, in time to travel. So once you become a permanent resident and you complete the landing procedure uh, at either the port of entry or at one of the inland offices, you then have to wait. Um, right now, it's 42 days for your initial PR card to arrive. So despite an extension of a PR card taking 177 days currently as of today, Permanent resident cards are taking a little over a month. So in the case of Kumar, um, the reality is if he has to travel very quickly after becoming a permanent resident, then he's going to be in a position where it's going to be difficult for him. So I've got a couple solutions. Well, first off, um, if you have an option of not traveling, then don't. However, if you receive your landing documents and you then are in a position where you need to travel, you might want to consider traveling to India first and then on returning, provided you've got time, sufficient time uh, within um, the, the, uh, your, your permanent resident visa um, to, to leave, go back to India. And then when you fly back into Canada, complete the landing procedure um, to become a permanent resident. So you have to follow the instructions that I, IRCC has given you. But that's one option is to, if you can't wait for the PR card to arrive, then um, once you've sent in your passport to have the visa imprinted in it, if you're from a visa-required country such as India, um, and then you're given landing instructions, you may choose to depart Canada and then conduct that landing after you return from India. However, I want to point out that you want to make absolutely sure that there is no changes in your family circumstances uh, before you complete that landing. So in other words, if you have your true love back in India and you say, hooray, I'm a permanent resident, now I want to go and uh, get married um, to my to my true love. Um, you absolutely must not do that, uh, or make any changes to your family circumstances um, without uh, having all of that disclosed before you complete your landing. So if your if your permanent resident documents indicate that you're an individual, you're you're a single person, not married, then 
do not go back to India, get married, and then come back and try to do your landing because Section 117.9D of the immigration um, regulations will prohibit you from forever sponsoring that spouse. So you do not want to be caught in that situation. But practical solution, if you need to travel for business, as Kumar indicated here, then maybe if it's just a few business days and you do need to complete your landing, you do have the op- option of doing that on entry to Canada. So if you leave and then re-enter, so that might be something that you consider. Um, also, as I indicated before, there is a process to request urgent processing of their PR card. However, there's no guarantees. And I can tell you from my experience that with all of these people, and you can imagine this, you've got all of these people with PR card extensions pending who need to travel and they're caught by this new ETA rule. It's going to be highly unlikely that any request for urgent processing of a PR card, whether it's an initial one or an extension, is going to be accepted unless there is truly some kind of unbelievable emergency. So even then, it it can be doubtful. So I hope that answered um, your question there. Kumar, and, and that's exciting that you were able to get through that express entry process and and uh, and now become a permanent resident of Canada. Fantastic. Okay, listener number two. Uh, this question is from Krishna, and I debated on whether I was going to pull this onto the podcast, but the reality is, um, when it comes to um, this type of a question, it depends on his time. So I thought I might as well, I might as well deal with it. So Uh, Krishna, it says, good day. Just to give you a background, I had applied under the Express Entry Program last year through a consultant. However, as the consultants were really ineffective, I decided to opt out of their services. Now I'm trying to apply on my own this year and had a question regarding the application process. While applying, I'm asked if I had applied to CIC before, and there is another question asking if I had applied for Express Entry before. I believe I should say yes, as my ex-immigration consultants had applied on my behalf, right? They are yet to share the express entry file number and the unique client identifier, UCI. In your opinion, they should be sharing these identifications, uh, identification numbers with me, right? As when I was with them, they never shared these details. Regards, Krishna. Well, Krishna, absolutely, 100%, any representative, whether they're an immigration consultant or lawyer, has an obligation to cooperate with you when you wish to discontinue their representation. Now, if you owe them money, there there may be um, they may be able to keep the work product that they created and not return it to you if you have unpaid accounts with them. However, when it comes to material that you've paid for, you are one hundred percent entitled to receive copies of your file materials, which includes your express entry file number and UCI number. And if they refuse then I highly recommend that you report them to their regulatory body. So if it's a consultant, it would be the Immigration Consultants of Canada Regulatory Council, and there's a link within the show notes for that. And if a lawyer, then all you need to do is to go to the Provincial Law Society's governing body where the lawyer practices and follow the links uh, providing instructions on how to report misconduct. I can tell you that when it comes to the Law Society, any any inquiry from a person, uh, any complaint that's filed is dealt with in an extremely expeditious fashion. And, um, you know, when it comes to ICCRC, um, I'm sure that they also have a fairly decent track record of investigating these issues. Um, So 100%, you are entitled to that. And um, ultimately, if, you know, there's delays in getting that resolved, you can always contact the call center, 
provide them with your name, um, your date of birth, as much information as possible, your passport number, so that they can then relay to you what your express entry file number is and your UCI number. They should be able to help you with that. However, as all of us have experienced lately, um, well, as all of my clients have experienced lately, because we, uh, I generally don't call the call center. They're like a, uh, a Dell call center for your computer. You know, they've got their manuals in front of you, and, and I can't tell you how many times they've given incomplete answers to clients, which have then caused clients to make assumptions that have been to their detriment. But I won't get into that. I don't want to slag the call center people because they're doing the best that they can. But often they're, they're trying to answer questions without the complete facts. And, and sometimes they misunderstand what's being asked. And then there's just confusion all around. And it results in some horrible, horrible results. But, um, but ultimately, they should be able to track that uh, your express entry file number and the UCI number, which um, you do need to, to explain on a subsequent application. All right. So... We're coming to the end of this podcast. Um, I am always looking for ideas for our next podcast. Now, I indicated Billy and I are going to uh, have our little um, our little debate, and I'm going to be the good cop and she's the bad cop when it comes to a spousal sponsorship in our next episode. However, we're always looking for ideas for our next podcast. So if you have a question or a topic you'd like covered in our next podcast, um, please let me know uh, by a voice message. that You can leave a digital voice message um, right on the Canadian Immigration Podcast website and the the website, um, my my firm website, Holty Tillman LLP. Uh, the right um, there's a widget on the right sidebar uh, that is entitled "Ask an Immigration Question." So click on that, and it will leave a uh, voice message for. Excuse me, a voice message for me. You can also leave me a message by going to the contact section on the uh, CIP website and leave a message. Um, also uh, on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and and you, there's a comment section on that, um, that contact uh, page as well where you can provide information to me. Um, in coming episodes, I'm also going to be interviewing various uh, Canadian immigration industry leaders, the gurus out there who are going to be sharing some of their experiences and some insights um, that, uh, that they're currently going through when it comes to the, the challenges that people face with express entry, uh, you know, as well as other issues that we as immigration lawyers and consultants face when we're representing people before immigration, refugees, and citizenship Canada. So stay tuned for that. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes um, and take the time to rate the Canadian Immigration Podcast. If it, uh, the more responses that we get for um, you know ratings and things like that, the better exposure we can have for the podcast, so that it'll re- it'll reach those people that can actually benefit from what. I'm trying to share here. So um, tips and guidance and everything related to this, comp, uh, you know, navigating this complex world of Canadian immigration, that's what we try to cover on the podcast. So until next time, I want to wish all of you all the best and, um, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Oh, Canada. 
Yeah.